0: Hello, welcome to the Retro That Agile podcast. My name's Tom Bennett. You can get me on Twitter at Agile Talent Guy. And I'm joined, as always, by my uh, by my friend and co-host, Mr. Hoyland. How you doing, mate?
1: I'm doing good, thank you, Tom. Fantastic. Uh, you can get me on Twitter as that agile and today we are joined by the always thoughtful Liam Gulliver. Liam's joining us from MMT Digital. Uh, you can find Liam on Twitter as LR Gulliver all one word and you can also get him on LinkedIn too and today we're going to be talking about DevOps and what is DevOps anyway. So over to you Liam. Tell us a bit about yourself. How are you doing buddy and what is DevOps when it's at home?
2: Well, wow, good. Thanks, Tom. Uh, thanks for the, the introduction. Um, so, I guess let, let's start with uh, a little bit of my background. Um, I am primarily a DevOps consultant and uh, delivery manager for, for MMT Digital. Um, that means you get to consult on DevOps and all that fun stuff associated with it from software uh, delivery life cycles all the way through to shipping stuff out into production um, all of the time. So, uh, that kind of leads me nicely into to, what is DevOps? You know, I have a, a definition that I quite like um, that I that I use a lot with, with the people that I speak to because uh, I get the luxury of being able to talk to a lot of different businesses in different sectors. Um, but the one thing rings true all the time and that's, that's this definition. And that's uh, DevOps itself is a culture that promotes the union of people, processes, and products to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users. Yeah. We're a
0: minute in and I reckon there's a load of people listening who are going to go, really? Because I always thought DevOps was a job or a job title or a thing or something you could see or feel. <laughs> um, because I know that's what I thought, you know, a few years ago. And I think DevOps is one of those things, that, um, contrary to other elements of technology, where I think it's quite easy as someone on the outside looking in to kind of see and, and picture it, you know, a software yeah. engineer, you are engineering software. You know, you you, you are, that's what you're building. I think DevOps is, for someone who's sort of, teetering on the edge of technology rather than being fully immersed in it it's something that i think a lot of people struggle with um so i think i, I think I, I was really really pleased when i saw sort of what you wanted to come and talk about today liam because i think it's a great opportunity to just really just peel back some of the layers just you know toss all the toss all the um you know all the all the rubbish to one side and just kind of think right let's start again on this what actually is devops where did it come from you know yeah how do we use it what does it look like um so i am i'm really excited to get into this
2: well i think that's 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 kind of it you know and if you if you've listened to uh to the agile engineering podcast which uh, tom has has been on as well um you you may know that i'm fairly opinionated about it being a job in that it isn't <laughs> um <laughs> you know it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a job title frankly you know like we've just said in terms of the in terms of the uh, definition we're talking about it being a culture and you don't have a culture engineer right same as all right okay yeah you get things like agile coaches and that kind of thing but agile itself again you don't have an agile engineer it it doesn't make sense because you work in an, an agile way and to me what devops kind of is 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 building on top of that agile foundation um where it, it's Evolving into the next uh, era of of software development, and that's not just from a from a building it point of view, but from a how do you think about the system itself? How do you think about it from its conception to how you're going to deliver it, to how you're going to to monitor it and, and look after it through its life cycle.
1: Really like the uh, the way you explained it there. It's not a job title. It's it's some it's something deeper than that. Is it a is it a skill or is it is it something even further than that?
2: I think it, it it it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I think there are, and again, coming back to the example of agile coaches, there are some really great agile coaches out there, and that is a really strong skill set to have in terms of being able to coach people in the in this cultural way of working um, and being able to to break things down into what is ultimately the the agile principles and the agile um, manifesto and that sort of thing. And it's a similar thing with, with DevOps, I think, you know, it's, it's very people centric, you know, there's those three pillars of DevOps, which are that people process and products and people is the first pillar. It's, it's, it's the basis. It's a foundation of everything. And you've got to be really good at recognizing that and, and almost um I'm just trying to search for a better way of phrasing this, but programming people into a way that works with those processes, you know, and those processes then uh, utilize the tools to it to go from A to B. Um, but from within that, you can then have skill sets in, say, particular product suites, you know, like Azure DevOps. I, that's something I use day to day. You know, I think we've all probably used Jira and that sort of thing um, at some point. They are a, a skill and a tool set to have, but they're an enabler rather than the end goal, right? You know, They help us take that, that thing that we're building, that, that idea, and put it in front of people, but it's not a, a skill in its own right.
1: So, how does a how does a team how does an individual get started on their DevOps journey? Does uh, does a consultant come in and a bit like with the uh, agile coaches and agile consultants, you come in, you wave your magic wand, and hey presto, you are now a DevOps team, you are now a DevOps engineer. Uh, is it is it really that simple, or or how do we build that capability within a team? Is, do you even have DevOps teams? Is
2: that the right way to look at it? It's not the way that I would look at it. Um... You know, it it goes in hand. uh, Sorry, it goes hand in hand with uh, it not being a job title. By by labeling a team as a DevOps team, it it's sort of an anti pattern that gets people to fall into uh, the this place where DevOps things. um, I know people can't see me doing the air quotes, but I'm doing it to both (laughs) both of the guys here. um, Sort of dump all of that capability. Now, I think there there's definitely a, a a place for a group of people who are responsible for the enablement and governance around certain standards of those things. So let's say it's, again, like the Azure DevOps, there, that this is how we're going to do branching. This is how we're going to um, deliver something to production. This is how we're going to do our automated processes. But ultimately, it, it's it's not a DevOps team in its own right. And if there, if there was a DevOps team, it's everybody involved in that end-to-end lifecycle, you know, from, from the most junior of devs to the testers to the to the business analysts product owners and so on i'll wind this back slightly then
0: because you mentioned before that you see devops as being more of a a culture by culture do you mean a mindset do you mean a way of doing things um can you elaborate on that a little bit
2: it's both to me um you know it 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 requires a lot of the mindset that that's set out by agile in, in my opinion you know that what going back to when I was talking about it being built upon those foundations, you know, there, there's that whole agile manifesto. There's the whole, um, uh, 12 agile principles as well. And they apply here just as much, you know, uh, what DevOps does is it takes that and then sort of puts it in a, in an applied way and it comes to the process and, and products at least, but, to be able to do that again, it comes back to the people, and and the people is what make to me is what makes it a culture because it has to be something that your organisation lives and breathes to be, let's say within within that top percentage of elite DevOps performers. Uh, you know the the people, try uh, to say the people, the the companies like the Facebooks, the Amazons, Netflix, Spotify, and stuff like that, and you know they they're really great examples of high performing. DevOps or elite performing DevOps organizations. But, you know, there's, there's lots of people that are, in, in my experience, goes, well, why, why can't we just do the same as Spotify? Why can't we just be the next Facebook or Netflix or whatever? And it's because it's a culture ingrained and that is unique to that business. You know It's not just about uh, copying and pasting someone else's culture over the top because it doesn't work like that. You know, everybody's different. I really
1: like how you, you've you talked about culture there. And one of the things that, that really got my attention when I was getting started with my journey into the DevOps space, into that DevOps mindset, was the cultural element. And uh, I think, you know, turn the clock back a couple of years, go all the way back to one of the initial and first uh, DevOps days conferences. That's where we started to see some of the early frameworks and patterns emerge, things like Calm, so your culture, automation, lean systems thinking. Uh, your metrics and monitoring and your sharing. How do you how do you breed? How do you encourage that mindset in a team that is very much an agile team, but it's just used to building a product. It's ready to hand that product over to maybe another operations team. How do you start to bring those two uh, those two groups together, bridge that gap, and build a better product?
2: I, th- I think it's something that again it is it varies between business to business because you know those those people are like the dna of an organization right and they're all unique but fundamentally everybody seems to tend to have the same problems um, otherwise i wouldn't have been able to make a career out of it um and that's that's first and foremost get people talking to each other you know it could be through okay well let's let's start introducing uh, person ops to people dev team at a standup. You know, it, it could be as simple as that as a, as a starting point, or it could be probably more more blunt and obvious as going, okay, well, we're going to take the person who currently does all this infrastructure stuff and all of these these pipeline and developer experience things, and we're going to put that person in this feature team. You know, ultimately. It forces some conversation. Now, there's there's lots of different ways you can go about that. Uh, I'm sure you know Tom. I know you've certainly got some insights in this in this area, um, but it's it's the first step is progressing towards being able to have the conversations around it in the first place.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely spot on. In it it always starts, in my opinion, with that first conversation, and that can be brought about by mixing people together but it can also be brought about through the pressures and the challenges of delivering in a, in a fast paced you know, digital first world. A lot of DevOps teams that I see, they start as agile product teams and they, they start to think, actually, we want to not just build our products, but we want to run them as well. We want to optimize them and we want to own the whole thing all the way from the top, all the way down to the tin and iterate it. And then sometimes you see, and I've, I've come across and work with teams that are purely operational, but they want to start to implement development practices, extreme programming practices, agile practices in the way that they work. So I think DevOps teams can can almost like start from different ends of that spectrum, whether it's within ops or dev, but ultimately meet in the middle somewhere. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Is there almost a, uh, almost like a, an 80% of uh, teams started from a dev perspective and then move towards embracing those operational concerns or you tend to see it starts in operations and it moves back into development practices and it brings it together that way.
2: Is there a pattern? Is there a trend? So I guess there's two sides to this. Um, there's, there's my own experience, um, which is vastly different to what I've seen. So, what I've seen with a lot of businesses is it does tend to start being more ops-focused and ops-driven because they they are the people who are in front of production. They are the people who are seeing how those systems are being used in production and can feed back into the development teams um, to, to make the product better, right? Um, and then there's there's the development teams who want to know more about how systems are being used so they can make better decisions about, okay, well, let's let's move it uh, on by X because people aren't using this feature in the way that we thought they were and stuff like that. Um, and then there's there's kind of the way I came into it. So my background initially was actually as a developer and a lot of the DevOps transformation pieces and even bringing in things like Agile and and, and then uh, methodologies like Scrum on top of that um, have been driven by me as a developer rather than as an ops person but you know I'm I'm probably old enough now that it's it's the rarity that the way I did things back in, in early in my career was I was responsible for, for production and development and building the application and coming up with the requirements you know it, it's a lot less like that there now and more segregated into teams of people because funnily enough that's that's a lot of cognitive load for, for one person and it's probably wasn't the best way to do it back when I first started out. Um, but, you know, there's there's also the the odd occasion as well, where actually the people that have sparked some of those conversations have been product people, where they wanted to know more about how things are happening in production, how their end users are doing things, and have been dissatisfied with the speed at which they're getting that feedback back between ops and dev and or rather, ops to them, to dev, and vice versa, and it just—it's just a slower churn, um, which can then result—you know—I'm sure you know—in in competitors gaining market advantage because they can probably deliver faster, or they already have a more mature DevOps culture, so they can get out ahead of company A or company B.
0: Sounds like we should be calling it ops dev in at least a couple of organizations rather
2: than DevOps. I think I think you you're probably probably right, but I, like I guess I guess to me it's it's not just the the smashing of Dev and Ops together though. You know, there's there's lots of people uh, out there who, or lots of other approaches, should I say, that we've got things like Dev Sec Ops and all that kind of stuff where you're bringing security in and calling that in. But you know, um, a friend of mine and co-host on the Agile Engineering podcast, Jonathan, you know, it's it's a pet peeve of his because you're just starting to add words in for every team that should be part of that culture anyway. You know, it's not gonna be dev, prod, sec, ops, test, or anything of those things, it, it should just be the norm. And it's, it's, I think that's something that a lot of people realize already, uh, especially across the industry, because otherwise the DevOps movement itself wouldn't be growing year on year, like it has done over the last sort of six, seven years, uh, compared to other movements that have, that have died out very quickly. It's funny you mentioned that the um around sort of just
0: banging different teams in and sort of you've got an amalgamation of words essentially um because i was going to ask how to to what extent can you apply devops um to sort of any any role or any team you know can you if it's a culture if it's a mindset if it's a way of doing things you know can any team be devops, could a people team or
2: um you know a non i t team altogether um in my opinion, yes, absolutely. Um, because it's it's a it's not an engineering culture it's a business culture starting at the sea level and working its way all the way down you know it, it's it's has to be the lifeblood of your organization to be able to move at that sort of um agility and to, be able to, to pivot when you the feedback you get proves that your hypothesis is wrong or any or any of those things and, and there's certainly non-engineering teams that can work in that same way. Um, it isn't for everyone, don't get me wrong. Um, but it is certainly something that I think, on the whole, you don't have to be an engineering or development team to be able to do. I think,
1: for me, one of the things that, that has really jumped out at me with that DevOps culture and that that mindset you know we say mindset quite a lot an agile mindset a devops mindset yeah. even a waterfall mindset you never know uh one of the things that really hit home to me was how that devops culture thinking about a product not just from building that product but running it optimizing it maintaining it it's a totally different way of looking at technology from how we've looked at it in the previous couple of decades when we start first started with tech we, we had these giant behemoth computers massive things ma- massive things in racks now it's all somebody else's rack to worry about that's what we call the cloud
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but the th- the thing with, with the thing with that is as soon as you as soon as you as soon as that rack arrives as soon as you install that thing it used to be the case that we sweated our assets we'd bought some software we'd built some servers we used to sweat them and run them into the ground to get as much money out of them as humanly possible But that's because we start to treat technology in the same way that we do with any other large capital assets, buildings, bridges, civil engineering type affairs. With digital products, with technology and with thought, it behaves differently. If you fail to invest in it, the value of that product starts to diminish incredibly quickly. Users' needs move on. Users' needs change and their heads are turned and they see another product on the market and then they will hop on that that bandwagon because it's a more... It's a it's a better prospect really for them. The thing that I really love about DevOps and that mindset is it's not just about building the product; it's about running it, not just to maintain its value, but actually to increase its value over time. I don't know how how you feel about that. Do you, do you see that in your world about increasing value?
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, you I, I guess th- throughout the throughout the development of a product, what you're always looking for at the end of the day. Regardless of what angle you come at it from, is a return on investment. If if I'm adding a feature to a product, and I'm not getting a positive return on investment, I'm not adding value to the product. It, it, that feature added to the whole should increase the value of the overall thing. But whether or not you know you're adding the right thing, is is another matter. You know, the the using your example, Tom, there it was. Where in the days of old, you know, we were running things on prem more often, or even even companies now who run stuff in the cloud as such, but they they treat them all as you know their own children, uh, where they, they are running it into the ground, they aren't getting the the benefit of the the fast feedback through being able, being able to pivot and being able to get the the information you want to be able to say okay actually this thing that we built that we spent six months building it was great for a month now nobody's using it or um this this particular feature we've just put out everybody hates it or it isn't working properly more or more importantly um we need to be able to sort that out now or roll back that change very quickly um which in in some organizations especially large enterprises that's not very easy to do even today um because more than anything you know you're you're in a position where that sort of delay costs, can can cost you potentially hundreds of thousands if not millions of pounds if you especially if you're a large organization um there's there's a concept um i don't think it's necessarily specifically a devops concept um but i think it's it's definitely become more prevalent in the software engineering world since sort of DevOps inception. Uh, but you, are you familiar with uh, OODA, uh, OODA loops? Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: I am not. Cool. So uh, an OODA loop is what well, it stands for, uh, Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. And it is a, a process for dealing with feedback and deciding what to do with it ultimately uh, that was developed by the US Air Force years and years and years ago. Um, and it, it's, it's a process and a way of thinking and, and, and an approach that's essentially stops pilots from getting shot down. Um, and that same approach where we, we're observing what's happening in production, we're um, deciding what, we, well, trying to work out what we're going to do. We've made a decision on what we're going to do and now we're acting upon it. Uh, as, part of, as part of DevOps, um, really can help reduce costs in terms of your overall software development. Um, and it can also help to mitigate risk, which again relates quite nicely to, to cost of what you've built, what you're running and so on. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know for sure, but this is, this is kind of my my understanding of things or, or the way I, I've pieced things together in my head is this kind of thinking is what's led more to, towards things like cloud adoption. Um, it's led more towards things like, and everything as code approach, which means that everything can be disposable and spun up very quickly. So if, if something does go wrong, if something isn't quite right, that change can be made very quickly. It can be vetted with with peer review or automated tests. And it can be deployed, you know, in minutes rather than days. So if something goes goes wrong, you have to be able to react very quickly and OODA Loops sort of help that that process.
1: I really like how you, you were talking about observability there. And for me, that is one of the things that I've really taken from the, from the DevOps context mm-hmm. and found it really useful to start applying that within the team context. So we talk about our services being observable. So something bad happens, we're able to understand what happened, piece things back together. And then we can identify the root cause, the signals, and get that into monitoring and metrics so we can detect it, we can alert on it, we can respond to it. The really interesting thing that I've seen, and the thing that I find really exciting at the moment from the DevOps space, is that movement of observability, not just on your technology, but on your teams as well. Understanding how that team is behaving, because your team is your pipeline, after all. I don't know what you think.
2: Yeah, and it kind of goes back to, to what I was saying earlier around, around programming humans. You know that that uh, especially from it from a leadership point of view, your your product is your teams. You know, you could be, you might be somebody who's who's responsible for a team that's delivering a, a shopping cart. Your product isn't the shopping cart; it's the team delivering that. And seeing how they're doing is is so key to be able to feedback in the same ways and, and react quickly. Um, because it, again, it has a knock-on impact to deliverables. It has, certainly has a, a knock-on impact to to success as well, and the happiness of the team. That if you sort of leave that thing to fester and go wrong, it it starts to starts to present itself in the end product that users actually see as well. Um, which then again has a knock-on effect to to the business and everything else so I think one thing that's kind of kind of part of that is by moving towards a devops culture it's it's implicitly making your delivery teams aware and responsible for that business revenue and being able to see how that team is doing and how happy they are Uh, And, uh, what's not going well for them or what's going really well for them means that you can also apply that learning to other teams as well and scale up the, the success or, you know, in theory, scale down failures as well.
1: So talking about teams there and understanding how that team contributes towards revenue, how do we, how do we structure our teams in the right way? What are the optimal structures for, for platform teams? reliability engineering teams and then feature teams so they can all embrace that DevOps culture is there no hard and fast rule. What what do you think?
2: I don't think there is a hard and fast rule for it. And again, it comes to, to each business being unique. I think there's, there's a rule of thumb or or at least a guideline, should I say um, where I think cross truly cross-functional teams uh, breed the most success. But again, that might not work for, for your business. You know, if you're a well-established business and you've got a full separation of concerns of things, it's going to take a long time to be able to get to a place where you can have a truly 100 percent trusted cross-functional team that can produce that sort of level of elite performer results. You know, it's it's not something that's that's going to happen overnight. Um, trust. It, 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 I, is really the biggest part of that as well, rather than just the skill set. Yeah.
1: I think it does come back to, it definitely comes back to, to culture. Uh, And it's how you measure success and what an organization values at the end of the day, really big, really large established organizations. They are big for a reason because they've got a great product out there. They've made money from it. They've structured themselves. They've created constraints. And, and enforce themselves to work in a certain way because it's, it protects the status quo, the thing that keeps delivering results for them. But then, at the other time, ta- in the I suppose from the from the other perspective, it also holds them back as well. Because yes, we can have teams that are all grouped together and they are cross-functional and they work on domains. But on a balance sheet, that actually looks pretty bad in some cases because somebody's looking at that a finance person and saying, actually, we've got all these people spread out across all these different teams. Wouldn't it be nice if we could stick them together and we could get economies of scale? And then what you end up doing is you end up almost marching back into that world of functional specialization and throwing things over a wall because teams and and organizations, in in my opinion and in my experience, they're always almost like battling between those two Sides of that spectrum, do we want economies of scale, functional specialization where the unit and the, or the unit of measurement and success is utilization of an individual or is the real measure of success lead time to business impact, which is what you tend to see in cross-functional teams, domain driven teams. How do you start to have that conversation in the C-suite? Because when I've seen, when, when I've seen the penny drop for people and they go, actually, nobody really cares about functional utilization. People care about time to market. That's the that's the real metric for us. How do you start to introduce that conversation into the C-suite?
2: So there's been a few ways that I've done it. And I'll I, I kind of caveat this with, so the organization I work in uh, is more of a, a consultancy and an agency. And we, we end up kind of more in that functional specialization kind of grouping. Um, purely because they, 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 we then build teams out of that with you know devs we've got some systems engineers or cloud systems engineers and and sres and so on um or we're fulfilling a specific need for for a client um whereas more traditional software organizations it you know you're right it is very easy for people to go okay well this is just a part of money of uh site reliability engineers so Surely that's the easiest thing to do, and if I just add another one into there, then I've got one big pot of money. That's my budget for SRE, and I can see that on a balance sheet. But what's happening there is is people are being reduced down to resources or lines, probably on an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. Um, if it's if, it, if it's finance, and that kind of goes back into into what we were saying earlier around the team team happiness and that leading to. Uh, better performance uh, and being able to see that observability of the of of a team uh sorry being able to use observability of the team to be able to see how how well they're they're producing stuff or stuff that's going wrong when people feel like their resources they will be unhappy you know if they if they are treated as people and unique individuals then that helps to to Build the right culture and, and that sort of thing. But that isn't immediately obvious to, to say C suite, or even lower, just like lower than that, you know, when you're looking at D or or even heads off sort of level, where they say, I need this thing and I need it to be delivered by a date that was three days yesterday. You know, it, it's it's really, really tough to have those decisions without being able to turn around and go, here is irrefutable proof that having the right team makeup. Yeah, having the right team makeup lets you deliver to the sort of deadlines that you, that you want. But even then, I mean, there's, there's kind of a problem with what I'm saying. Like if someone else is setting that deadline and they're saying, I need all of these features, you know, that's an impossible task because in the history of all time, no manager has turned around and said, I need all of these features for this deadline. And then everybody's gone. Yeah. Right. and, And delivered on it. You know, it's been more of a, Oh, Oh crap! We've got to get this done. Uh, I don't know how we can do it. Let's do all this overtime and and stuff like that. Let's take a, a current example of, of that sort of thing uh, with with Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Uh, how many times, no, Liam? Don't you know all about this? Though, <laughs> don't you, Tom? I'm Come still on. wounded. Yeah, I thought I'd have it by now. Tomorrow, tomorrow, it will be fine. Not, on, ne- not on next gen. It won't. Not on next gen. Well, you for your free upgrade though, don't you? That's true. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've done. I bought it on PS4 uh, uh, to play on PlayStation Five. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. We are digressing into the world. We again, are a little bit you? sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's a good example of here's our release date. We've got to do these things now. None of us work at CD project Red. We aren't a fly on the wall within that business, but they will have had like every AAA game or, or Big Bang Project. Here is here's our target date let's start working towards that and that would have slipped internally you know because it's again it's been what in development now for 7 years or something like that i think it was announced at E3 2013 or something like that since they um, released the witcher 3 pretty much pretty much yeah so that those conversations will, will have happened and then they've will gotten a bit closer to go actually what what can we do for this date and there'll be the panic starts to set in uh, and then eventually someone will have gone Okay, well, we can either move the ship date back, or we can you can take what you get now, or everybody works um, overtime for this time. Well, as it turns out, they've kind of done a little bit of all of that, but that's that's a <laughs> that doesn't help this example. Um, but when it when it comes down to it, you need to build build a a culture of I don't know if culture is the right word here, but a, a place where it's safe to say, yeah, okay, well, for this date, if if that's the date we need to stick to, we can only deliver these features. If they're saying, okay, well, what if I gave you another week? What could we have? Well, that's fine. That's a really healthy place to be. But I've seen, and I've worked in a lot of organizations that have gone, no, this is this is the deadline, or I think your estimates are wrong, which is the worst one um which doesn't really help to breed that kind of that kind of trust because it's it's a two way street right you, you know and you've got to have that trust to be able to feel safe to be able to have those conversations um and the only way i have I've found to, and there might be other ways that other people found but is is to take a look at stuff like the cotter steps and, and kind of build it from there where you know you build that kind of expeditionary team. They go out and, and test this stuff and give proven results back to the to the others. You know, you're ultimately spiking a team's uh, delivery performance. The hardest part is getting um, the the approval to be able to do that from from the C-suite. Uh, and there's again, it's something that where there isn't a hard and fast rule, but it, this is where I think where the skill set lies is being able to have that conversation, being able to read people, being able to. To explain to especially the non technical folks the benefits in a tangible way, uh, so that you can, can get that sort of sell across. I,
1: book... sorry, go sorry, on. go on, go on, go on
2: Liam. sorry, mate. Um, there's a book that I really like, um, that's uh, oh crap, I forgot what it's called now. Uh, it's by Chris Foss, it's got a yellow, co- yellow cover on it, um. Is it the Made Tech one, or is it another one? Uh, It's another one.
0: It's the... I was sure we were going to go down the Phoenix Project route there for the eighth eighth time in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Whilst
2: whilst that is a great book, Um, it's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. All right, yeah, I've heard that one. I've never read it, though. Is it a good read? It's really good, yeah. I mean, uh, so Chris Voss, he used to be like this hostage negotiator. Okay, good start. And it's all about negotiating, and you winning that negotiation. Now, I think one of one of the things he, he sort of talks about in it is you're not looking for a yes; you want to ask questions that actually give you a no. Yeah, so you phrase things slightly differently, you know, because um, people are more likely to say no than they are yes.
1: That's interesting. I mean, when I uh, when I first started off. Uh, almost like just putting teams together on my journey. Uh, I think it was that, that initial conversation with the C-suite and looking at, okay, well, how have things gone previously? We've tried to work in a certain way. Has it resulted in what we expected? No. We've tried to apply more over time to delivering something. Has it resulted in, you know, us hitting the deadline? No, it hasn't funnily enough. Do our customers want us to be closer to them? Yes are there any things holding us back from going and working with the wider business and getting into that domain? No, there's nothing holding us back. And uh, I think when I first started my first proper, I would call it my full, my, my first proper agile team, it was just seeking that initial bit of permission. But when you frame it in a way where you say something like, you know, we're going to be spending what 30 K over the next four weeks, just give us yeah. four weeks and we'll come back with something and we can be proven and validated based on the results of the things that we deliver and how that makes customers feel. That's a really powerful thing. It's it's actually an easy thing for somebody to sign off in the C-suite because effectively you're giving them a little time box. You're giving them a spike, as you've said, so you can prove something. And if it all goes wrong, you can walk away. What's the harm? What's the damage? You can only learn, can't you?
2: Well, that's it, you know. And then, especially in that example, you know, you're still you're still delivering something at the end of it, whether that learning, whether whether that's just a learning, or you're still delivering functional product, um, you're still getting something out of it. But the the thing that I like to be able to do is, is to generate that note. This is a not necessarily the best the best example, but rather than going and say, okay, well, here's this idea. I've got I've got a thought where I think I can get things to deliver faster and you get more return for your money over this the course of this sprint is it okay if i go and do this they're more likely to say no to that sort of question whereas you said it whereas if you say something like here's my is my theory are there any problems that you can foresee that will stop me from achieving this goal that no now becomes a very different kind of no right it puts the ball back in their court exactly um, and that's that's around them turning. If, and if, if they say no, no, from that point of view, you know, that's a almost an, an implied an implied let yes kind of thing. Interesting, interesting.
0: What do you think, Tom? It reminds me of um, the conversation we had with Chris Stone, where he, he talked about adapting his language for different different teams or different um, different groups of people, and how how typically the leadership team wouldn't. Um, wouldn't take very well to the term fail fast it always has to be learned fast because you know the c-suite don't like the term failure um similar sort of things it? adapting your language knowing your yeah. audience but yeah it's really interesting one of the questions i had as well liam um was why do we not why do we not hear the phrase devops transformation in the same way that we hear the phrase agile transformation because agile transformation might be the most overused phrase um on linkedin um, but why, why do we not hear why do we not hear DevOps in the same note? Given it's you know as as you say it, it's 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 a culture, it's a mindset,
2: it's a it's a way of being and doing. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, in all honesty, uh, I think I think it's largely because that DevOps as a job title still exists and it is still quite prevalent within the industry. Right. Um, when when people are talking about uh, DevOps transformations they go. what they actually mean is can you come and put in all the CICD around this can you come and do my infrastructures code or can you put me in the cloud you know it's nonsense <laughs> ultimately
0: can you put me in the cloud that's going on the t-shirt i think so <laughs>
1: so tell me about tell me about reliability engineering then i'm i'm hearing more and more about reliability engineering we've, we've talked about job titles how it makes you feel, how it makes me feel. I'm not a fan of, uh, of a DevOps engineer, but tell me about how do you feel when you see jobs going out for site reliability engineers? Does that fall into the same category as DevOps? It's a mindset, it's something wider, or is that a profession? Is that a functional role?
2: I think it's, it's closer to a functional role overall. You know, SRE, uh, also Reliability Engineering, is something that uh, I think Google coined um, originally. You know, they they literally wrote the book on it, right? Um, (laughs) And I think it it is a skill set or or a collection of skills uh, rather than just a a mindset. I don't think it's a mindset in its own own right. I think it's it's part of that whole DevOps culture, but it, it relates to how can I run my things more effectively how can i make sure there's enough time how can i make sure it's highly available how can i how can i ensure that the changes that go out don't cause a degradation in service or how do i handle a deployment when i need to ship something 100 times a day you know it, it's it's that building upon the devops side of things a, a little bit more uh, in a way that's uh without trying to use the word too much, uh making it more reliable. Um I think it means
0: something, doesn't it though? I I guess you could you could look you could look at those three words and and you know you can see it you can picture a job title in a way that I don't think you necessarily can when you just see the word DevOps engineer. It doesn't mean anything to anyone who doesn't understand it, whereas site reliability engineer You don't have to understand technology to be able to sort of get an idea in your head of what that person does.
2: It feels a lot like what it says on the tin, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) I think there's less, I think there's less of a buzzword about it, but I'm not going to sit on the fence on this one. I do not think it's a job title. I think it's a, it's a, it's a mindset. It's exactly as you've said, it's a series of skills that are brought together, but I can, I think, I think site reliability engineering is a skill that people build over time it's something that you build into a team and it's a mindset that you build all the way back into product ownership and product management it's not enough just to build a product it's a uh, about main make, making sure that that product is highly reliable too i don't know people might disagree with me and might get a load of bad comments on this one I'm not
0: sure
2: <laughs> I, I think you can see where you're coming from i think it's 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 something that needs to be baked into the product all the way through um, from at that uh, conception and into your dev environment to to QA to, to into the hand of it, hands of end users, um, but I think that it requires enough of a I want to say specialized skill set because I think these are these are skills that at a minimum everybody needs to have an understanding of. You know when you when you're thinking, okay, well, how how do I handle the deployment of my application? That's part of running it. Um, but I think it's got enough of a, of a set of people that need to focus on this side of things because production is a lot to to handle, you know, all the environments and the way you, you ship is, is a lot to handle when you also think that, you know, somebody might be expected to come up with a solution, build the solution, deploy the solution, run the solution. Uh, also be on call for that solution. There's, there's a lot of load there for one person to, to take on. And I think that's where we start to get into these more capability-based sets of people. And again, the, the sort of cross-functional teams where people do specialize in these things because co- team cognitive load is, is a huge thing. It's, it's, it's definitely something that has an impact, again, on that, that team happiness, which then impacts the team's performance, which then impacts the business's performance.
1: So to bring this almost full circle, then, uh, I don't know if uh, if my friend is listening, but uh, my, my friend, who's also called Tom, so you never know, know, we may have a, a podcast with three <laughs> Toms one day.
0: God. <laughs> he's from difficult. Yorkshire?
1: He is from Yorkshire as well. And that'll oh, be difficult. That's a that. podcast in itself, the three Toms from yeah. Yorkshire. <laughs> it's the, the, the listeners will find it incredibly difficult. Uh, <laughs> But one of the things that he pointed me towards with this was this fantastic diagram, and uh, it was for the lols, really, but it was a, a software delivery lifecycle. And at the beginning of it, there was a section called product development, and there was an arrow that said, do scrum here. And then the back end of the of the delivery model at the right-hand side said, do DevOps here. <laughs> How do you feel about that when you, when you, when you see that being pushed by uh, pretty well-known organizations, uh, people who are trying to articulate their point, but in conveying it, they strip out a lot of what we've talked about today, that concept of mindset, it's not a role, it's actually a, a way of working, it's a culture, it's a lot of different things baked together. How do you, I suppose it comes back to that initial question that we asked, how do we sell, that devops dream is there such a thing as a devops dream
2: well i guess bluntly i hate it um (laughs) and that's where we'll end now joking yeah (laughs) yeah. but i guess you know the problem the problem with devops is which is my big proponent of it and everything is it covers a lot and it's really hard to articulate that to to even just whereas we've been talking about on this podcast you know we've got we've we've had to dive you know a, a little bit further past the surface in surface in some areas because it it's the whole lot right um it's it's not just about the, the doing agile here or doing the DevOps here it's it's the end to end top to bottom left to right i think it makes it easier for people to convey things if they can put it into a nice neat little box and that kind of goes back to, to what we were saying earlier about the, the functional um, groups of, of things for, for the economies of scale as well. And something as large as DevOps is in terms of what it covers, it can be scary. And that's that's that could be to C-level, it could be to, to a product team. And people's immediate response to that is to go, well, no, I don't want to touch that because it's scary. I don't like it. I think...
1: I think agile, just uh, like DevOps, I mean, agile has, has been a buzzword for, for a lot longer than than DevOps, historically speaking. When you look at teams that are effective in their agile disciplines and they are delivering products that are delighting their customers, it's not all or nothing. It's not switched on. It's not digital in a way. We're almost we're almost saying that agile and DevOps are not digital things where they're either on or they're off. There are different degrees of DevOps, techniques, practices, mindsets at work in a team, at different parts of that delivery lifecycle. Would you agree with that? Where in some teams, it's really turned all the way up to 11, and then in some, it's actually dialed down based on where they are, not just on their journey, but in the product that they're building. Because one of the things that you see in DevOps is because you've got products in operation it's effectively a stable product yes things will change we operate within a uh, in a volatile environment but ultimately that product has been developed it's gone through that thought process when we're in the product development world things are a lot more squiggly things are a lot more expansive they're a lot more woolly as we actually zoom in on the product that we're building i don't know what do you think to that
2: yeah I think i I think I agree you know it is it is it is a lot easier to to look at it in those terms and I think that's a, that's a good way to to explain it too you know when you say in, in the product world things are they're a bit more a bit more woolly you know they're a lot a lot more uh, expansive and that's what, that's why we look at things like having epics and features and breaking it down for more and by the time it gets to a, a delivery team it's, it's broken down into a, a chunk that makes sense. but that initial idea. You Know it could be all right, I, I want to build um a, a a video chat client. That could be the brief. But that could mean so many things. Just look at the number of options we've got these days when it comes to Zoom, Teams, Slack, or or you know, or Blue Jeans or whatever, you know, they all do things slightly differently because it's such a wide brief. But I, I think as you as you focus those those areas. You get to to start to look into the specializations and start thinking about okay, well, how does this apply to my team or my business? And you start small. You know, you can't just do it all big bang. We can't say magic up another Zoom client just off the top of our heads um, and, and have it tomorrow. You know, we, it it takes it takes time and it takes longer as well because it, it is it is a long journey to go on. Um, because it is that, that cultural shift and, and there'll be ingrained and learned behaviors that need to be, I guess, retrained in, in a way um, as, as part of that. And I think that when they've been looking at it from a big picture point of view, everybody goes, well, here's this big picture. We'll never do that by this date or we'll never do that by then. And I think that's, that's also part of the problem as well. I've seen people take DevOps transformations or, or, saying, let's go do DevOps, and I want to be able to do it by January the 1st, 2021, and we're now recording this on the 9th of December. You know, it's it's too much to do in that space of time. So you need to start small and go, okay, well, well what's the thing that makes sense for us to do first? Is it that we need to start thinking, we need to start doing tests closer to development because we'll get faster feedback loops before we get out that door? Do we need to bring in smoke tests in production you know, that's that's more of a I guess a, a process and, and, and tools approach to it. But you know, you can start there. You don't necessarily have to start with the people even if they're the biggest part. But it's it's something that people can latch on to and say, Okay, yeah, this is something we can do and we can do it in this amount of time.
0: Yeah. I think um I think when you hear phrases like do DevOps or go and do agile, it's it's tends to be a failure to recognise what that team does in relation to the goals of the business, um, you know, what everyone else in the room is trying to achieve. Um, and it all comes back again to, as you mentioned, the first, um, was it the three pillars of DevOps? The first one being the people and, you know, yeah. understanding that team, understanding that dynamic against, you know, the rest of the wider business and, um, you know, what collaboration is necessary to, um, to achieve the, the overall goal. But yeah, I think this has been, um, this has been fantastic, Liam. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Um, I wish, I'd, I wish I'd sort of listened to this in 2017 rather than 2020. It probably helped me a lot um, on my journey. Um, but no, I think it's been great. What about you, Tom? I've absolutely loved it. Uh,
1: eye-opening. Uh, I like how
0: we've dived
1: into a
0: lot of those difficult
1: things. Uh, I might be back on the fence a bit with the SRE thing, based on what you've said there. Not sure yet.
2: Good. I mean, that, that's that's kind of a, a good thing, I, I think. Because the the other thing to think about with SRE is um it, it's still emerging so well it's not as well established as DevOps engineer um but <laughs> it is it is something <laughs> that's that it, that is emerging and, and a lot of people uh, see it in different lights still as well um, so it's a, a little bit woolly um because you know google is is one of those one of those businesses who are are part of that fangs uh, elite performers group that you that you see mentioned all the time you know and if they've they've written the book on doing sre but it works for google
1: suppose because they've gone through that journey haven't they they they, they have they've dealt with those wounds that they received, but they've learned from that just as spotify is structured in a way that works for it and yeah. its context uh, you don't want to be spotify or what spotify looked like seven years ago
0: spotify model that'll be the the second most overused term on linkedin oh for sure Good <laughs> right um, okay
1: i think we're going to wrap it up for tonight uh it's been absolutely fantastic to get you on liam uh i'll see if we can pop back and uh, see you folks on the agile engineering podcast
2: yeah yeah that'd be great um you know always always happy to to trade hosts and guests you want to uh, plug really your
0: plug your twitter as well liam
2: yeah um if you want to, to be able to to follow me and all the various things that I do, from from the Agile Engineering podcast to uh, Azure Ish live, which is, is a live coding show that we do, or uh, in terms of Microsoft technologies uh, and all the various other things, uh, you can get me on at L R Gulliver. That's G U L L I V E R, and uh, yeah, find me on there.
0: Awesome. Well, look, this has been fantastic. Um, great guest, Liam. He will put you in the cloud. Um, and can, <laughs> <laughs> as always, you can get us on Twitter at the Retro Pod. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. It's been a great episode. Take care, guys. Cheers.
1: Hello there, and welcome to the Retro That Agile Podcast. You can get us on Twitter as the Retro Pod, all one word. My name is Tom Hoyland, and I'm joined by my friend Tom Bennett, and we've been talking about DevOps tonight. What do you reckon to that?
0: I thought it was brilliant. I think it's that age old question, isn't it? You know, what is DevOps? Is it a job? Is it a culture? Is it a way of thinking? And Liam dropped some serious knowledge and, uh, you know, really helped us get over that hurdle. So I'm excited for people to listen to this one. I really could have done with listening to this one a few years ago, let me tell you. You know, what? it's an absolutely cracking interview. So we hope you enjoy it. Tonight, we're
1: going to be talking to you about Air Force pilots, observability, and we're even throwing in some Cyberpunk 2077. What's it got to do with DevOps? You'll find out. Enjoy.